Mystery at the Mansion, the deaths that cast a shadow over paradise and still haunt me today. The death of little six-year-old Max Shacknight. He died after falling down a flight of stairs. And Rebecca Zahau ruled a suicide. But did investigators get it wrong? Are the cases connected? We go over the case evidence, what the family is saying. Plus, I call Rebecca's former boyfriend, who rarely does interviews. What does he have to say? Get ready. Buckle up. This is a case with lots of twists and turns, and in the end, you decide. You're under deadline. From the Hollywood Hills to your ear holes, this is True Crime Deadline. A podcast discussing cold cases, murder mysteries, and completely random thoughts. Now, here's your host, a man who stands in front of crime scene tape and talks on the TV box for a living, Mr. Mystery himself, Matt Johnson. All right, everybody, thank you for being with us for this very exciting first episode of True Crime Deadline. And for the first episode, we are going to go down to Coronado, California, a place that is very dear to my heart, probably some of the best beaches in the world, beachfront property. Um, It's a military base island. And it has sprawling mansions, resorts. It's gorgeous. But everything changed in 2011, in July of that year. Innocence on that island was shattered. Because here is a woman hanging, stripped naked, with her hands bound behind her back, her feet bound, and her mouth gagged. And she's hanging from this balcony outside for everyone to see. And I'm like, what in the world happened to her? Yeah. And it was ruled a suicide by police investigators. How? That's right. How? Um, could she have done this herself? And then also the victimology of would she have done this? Where was she in her life? Where was she? Would she have wanted to kill herself at this point? Now an emergency. What are you reporting? Yeah, uh, I, I got a girl hung herself. It's on Ocean Boulevard across from the hotel. Same place that you came and got the kid yesterday. Okay, sir, is she yeah. still alive? I don't know. Okay. Uh, sir, are you there? Are you alive? So what you're listening to right there, that's the 911 call. And who's making that is Rebecca Zahau's boyfriend's brother, Adam Shackney. He was staying at the mansion, the 27-room mansion at the time. And he was staying in the guest house. And he was staying there because the little boy, Max, had fallen down the stairs. And he was, he was offering support. And he made this call. It should be on help. Well, give me some, I'm doing, I'm compressing your chest right now. I'm, okay, listen to me. Help is coming right now, okay? So Rebecca is found dead. By the time paramedics get there, Rebecca is dead. She is found with her arms bound, her legs bound, and her arms are behind her back. She has something in her mouth, and she is dangling from the balcony. None of this makes sense for anybody that knows her. Rebecca is Burmese royalty. She had moved to America about 10 years prior. Her friends and family say that she was a loving, happy person. She felt like she had it all. And she was living in this mansion, this 27-room sprawling mansion, with her boyfriend, who's a CEO of this major pharmaceutical company. They were splitting their time between Arizona and Coronado 
And this is where she lost her life. 32-year-old Rebecca Zahal was, was found, found bound and hanging from a balcony. News, News was spreading like wildfire. A woman is found bound, gagged, and naked and dead over at the Spreckles Mansion in Coronado. And there was also a cryptic message written in black paint on the door of Rebecca's bedroom. There was a message that was uh, uh, found near her. She saved him. Can you save her? It was painted on a door. It was painted on the door of the bedroom that she hung herself from, supposedly, as the official explanation was. And looking at her other writings in her journal, she was very verbose. She was a very kind of flowery writer. If you're going to commit suicide and the last thing you're going to say on earth is something so succinct and also something so cryptic, yeah. why and would you do that? sinister yeah. sounding. Yeah. Yes. And in third person, why aren't you talking about yourself if this is your suicide note? We were sent right away. My cameraman was Cirque on stage. Do you remember any anybody, like, what people were talking about when we were setting up? Or can you talk to me about more about, like, what you were feeling or thinking? Or I don't even well, know. Anytime we show up to a scene, you know, the first thing we got to do is assess what is going on. And at the same time, a lot of times we got people coming up to us, hey, what's going on? Unfortunately, a lot of times we don't have all the answers because we're waiting for a PIO to give us some of those answers. Uh, so a lot of times when especially when I was at this scene, my thought was originally what happened here and how did it happen? And, you you know, when you're looking at this, this mansion here in Coronado, and like I said before, you're not ever thinking that something like this is going to happen right here in the nicest part of Coronado. And so a lot of people were coming up to us and asking us, hey, do you know what happened or how did it happen? And the best thing we could tell them is that, you know, um, a little kid uh, was – you know, had an accident, was in the hospital, wound up dying, and this uh, the lady Rebecca was um, found ha- uh, hanging naked. But that's all we could really give them. And it's it, what was crossing through my mind is how something like this could happen for such a prominent area. And it's kind of it kind of brings it real. You know, it makes it kind of real for where you live in your own life, you know, because you got things happening in this neighborhood that you would never think something like this happened to, but then it's like things you see on TV, all of a sudden here it is, boom, it's real. And so in the back of my head, it kind of makes you kind of a little bit freaked out about what's going on and how things are happening. But I mean, it's really always hard to, to, to pinpoint everything because when we show up to a scene, we're showing up there with what information we get from our desk and, and then we have to figure everything out as we go along. We never covered news in Coronado. Coronado was like a safe place. I mean, you have a military base not too far from where this actually happened. It was on the beach. You know, you got Hotel Del Coronado there. I mean, it's very safe there. You know, you wouldn't think that something like this would ever happen in a neighborhood that's like 90210 for San Diego. And we weren't exactly sure what had happened, what we were dealing with, how big this case would end up being. A millionaire's girlfriend found dead at this beachfront property just days after his son is fatally injured by falling down the stairs. All of the neighbors that I'm talking to, all of the media standing on that crime scene tape right next to me, we all thought that we were dealing with a murder. And possibly, could the cases be connected? I think that was on everyone's mind. Like Anyone that we talked to was like, really, this happened right here? I mean, I think a lot of people were very, very shocked. I think uh, a lot of people were kind of scared because it's like you come to Coronado thinking like, I'm going to enjoy myself, have a good time. It's a, you know, it's very uplifting community. And then all of a sudden this happens right next door. And you're just like, oh, my God, what, what just happened here? 
it's kind of like that 48-hour murder mystery, but nobody really knows what happened. So it's kind of scary, I think, to a lot of people. So I'm sitting in my car. I just arrived in Coronado. We're going to walk over to the beach and I'm going to see the Spreckles Mansion that I haven't seen in years for the very first time. As we're walking up to the mansion, you can see, as far as the eye can see, blue ocean, capping waves. You can see the beach, a lot of umbrellas out here, a lot of families. This is a big tourist destination. And this is prime real estate. To my left is the famous Hotel Del Coronado. That's where they filmed Some Like It Hot with Marilyn Monroe. And wow, okay. So we're approaching the house and there's a for sale sign out in front. Looks completely different with the big trees. Didn't look like this when I was here reporting on these stories. And I'm actually standing almost in the exact spot of where I stood for a couple days. Um, starting in July of 2011, when we first started to report on Rebecca Zahau. And while I'm out there in front of the mansion, I see this woman walking down the sidewalk. She's holding a binder, and she's talking to people, and she's pointing to the different houses. She's with the Coronado Historical Society. So I thought I'd ask her a couple questions. Um, what can you tell me about the Spreckles Mansion? You mean the one where the lady was killed <laughs> that's usually what people want to know about well I don't think anybody in Coronado believes that that she committed suicide if that's that's all I know that supposedly there was a really good um, investigation done but uh, the facts just don't seem to warrant that that she killed herself it didn't make sense um, what kind of impact has it had on Coronado are there people that um come here just to see the house? Oh yeah, there are definite people who come to see the house. The uh, Coronado Historical Association do not like to talk about anything to do with the murder. And uh, so we avoid all controversy. So now she didn't want to give her name. She works for the Historical Society. I get it. But thank you for the interview. And, and what she had to say is exactly repeated in every single person that I talked to. What they were thinking and what they were thinking back then. In fact, it's a mirror image. I was standing in the exact same spot asking the exact same questions in 2011, right before the Sheriff's Department issued their findings in the investigation. Take a listen. Fox 5's Matt Johnson, he's there live now with the latest on this. Matt, good morning. Hi, good morning. And authorities later this morning are expected to announce that the woman that was found mysteriously dead at this Coronado mansion here died of suicide. But all the locals that I'm talking to, all the neighbors here, say they have a hard time believing that. What questions do you have? Uh, the whole suicide thing sounds a little iffy to me. Uh-oh. Oh, okay. It's all right. <laughs> um, yeah, it, the whole thing is just strange. I don't know. I'm saying absolutely not suicide. There's no way a woman would kill herself that way. I mean, she obviously she was very depressed, but she wouldn't kill herself that way, particularly naked. 
Back out here live in Coronado. Now we are told that Zahao's family has already been told by the sheriff's department of what they're expected to announce, that this is a possible suicide. Again, they dispute that. They've actually hired an attorney because they want uh, the sheriff's department to look into it further. And that woman that I interviewed, that neighbor from 2011, she's absolutely right. Rebecca was devastated. This is according to Rebecca's family, her sister, who had just spoken to her on the phone before she was found dead. She said that she was absolutely taking responsibility. She felt like it was her fault because she was babysitting him. But Rebecca was in the shower when she heard a loud crash. And then she came out and she saw all of the glass. She saw Max on the ground A dog next to him, a scooter next to him, a soccer ball, and the chandelier had come crashing down. Now, the day that he fell from the staircase, she was not alone in the house. Her sister was also there visiting Coronado, and she was the one that made the 911 call. 911, where's your emergency? He fell down the stairs. He's not breathing. So while Zena is on the phone with 911, Rebecca immediately calls Jonah. I sprinted into the house and uh, saw Max uh, laying on the floor. And as help is on the way, Zena looks at Rebecca and asks what happened. I said, what happened? And she said, I really don't know. You know, I mean, when I came out, she was, he was there on the floor. She's like, Dina's going to kill me. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, well, she's going to kill me. And she kind of repeated it several times. Dina is Jonah Shackney's ex-wife and mother to Max. When you have blended families, you you want, I mean, no mom is jumping for joy saying, oh, somebody else is going to be, you Around know. your child. I thought we had a, a good working relationship together. But Rebecca's sister, Zena, and her boyfriend, Jonah, paint a very different picture. Take a listen. It was not a friendly relationship. It was not friendly at all. Uh, They were not close. Um, I think there were times when uh, Dina uh, made it a bit difficult for Rebecca. And things would come to a boiling point after the fall. To help ease tension, Jonah's brother Adam came to visit from Tennessee. Remember, Adam would discover Rebecca's body. And he was the only person inside the mansion when Rebecca got a call from Jonah hours before her death. Jonah left her a voicemail describing Max's condition as very grave. He talked about it in court. Take a listen. I told her in the message exactly what Dr. Peterson said, which was that if Max survived, that the best case scenario was probably that he would never walk or talk again. Later that night, a neighbor comes forward telling police that they heard screams coming from the direction of the mansion. I heard the woman yell, uh and then yell for help. She went, Now keep in mind, Adam is the only other person inside the mansion at the time. So he volunteers to take a lie detector test and that, well, it comes back inconclusive. Regarding the death of Rebecca, did you yourself do anything to her that resulted in her death? No. You could have done a whole lot worse on the test. Could have done a whole lot better too, but... Based on what I've got here, we're kind of in an inconclusive range, which really doesn't bother me that much. And then to add more mystery to the story, an eyewitness claims that they saw a woman matching Dina's description approach the front of the mansion the night right before Rebecca is found dead. 
During all of this, no one is getting any answers from the Sheriff's Department. It's about seven weeks, and then finally, the Sheriff's Department, they call for a news conference. New developments in two mysterious deaths in a millionaire's mansion in Southern California. Really strange, very tragic. You probably remember the fall of a six-year-old boy in July. And then two days later, two days later, his father, the man that owns the home, well, his girlfriend was found hanging. Let's get you more from Matt Johnson from our um, affiliate KS. WB in San Diego. So, uh, Matt, it appears police say that they have some answers. What have they figured out? Well, they're saying that the uh, boy's death was accidental, and they're calling the girlfriend's death a suicide. Now, not everyone agrees with this, but investigators say that their case is closed. During this news conference, our jaws drop because what they present to us to prove their case that Rebecca committed suicide, they show us a video, their reenactment. It's a video of a five foot three, 100 pound woman, which is the same height and weight as Rebecca Zahau. And this woman, this model, is demonstrating how Rebecca would have bound her ankles and wrists behind her back and tied this knot. The medical examiner says that there is no evidence of a struggle, no sexual assault. They say that she was naked because she had just gotten out of the shower. Police then showed a video demonstrating how a person of Zahau's height and size can actually tie a rope behind their back. Take a listen. She bound her feet, placed the rope in the shirt around her neck, fashioned her wrist bindings, and secured her hands behind her back. Rebecca moved out to the balcony, leaned forward over the railing, and fell. Adam Shackney runs into the kitchen, grabs a knife from a butcher block, and then cuts her down. He immediately begins to give her CPR, but it's too late. The bindings you see were the result of painstaking study of the bindings that were on Rebecca. We used the actual bindings without untying them. And that is as close as possible as we could get to recreating those bindings. The rope is also of the same type. And what you'll see here at the end, this rope is a little tighter. This one is loose, which is consistent, which is what was found at autopsy. Police admit that they don't know the order of events as they occurred, but they say, quote, in this press conference that just wrapped up moments ago, this is the best conclusion that they can come up with. They are calling this a closed case. Rochelle? Okay, a closed case. Have we heard from Rebecca Zahal's family? Are they accepting the explanation they're getting? Absolutely not. They are not accepting this explanation. They say that she would never do anything to harm herself. They say that she loved life and that she lived it to the fullest. They've actually hired an attorney to try to keep this case and this investigation ongoing. No, part of the reason why Rebecca's family got an attorney right away and why they always said that it was a homicide versus a suicide from the very beginning, aside from her mental state and saying that she would never have committed suicide, is the lack of answers surrounding the evidence found there at the scene. So Rebecca's DNA, it was found on the knots of the rope 
and on one of the knives, but not both. And there was no DNA and no fingerprints found on the paintbrush. The paintbrush that was used to write that cryptic message on the door in black paint. And detectives, they couldn't answer why there was no DNA or fingerprints on the knife, the other knife that was there, and why there was possibly another footprint on the balcony. And then um, what did you think about the whole press conference that the sheriff's office did? That was kind of unusual, too. I don't ever remember them doing anything like that before. I don't remember them really doing anything like that before. But, you know, I think they were very quick to say that, you know, she committed suicide. But the family was very argumentative, saying, no, that's not something she would ever do. But they were very quick to close this case. And, you know, I don't know too much about... um, why they would do that, I do know that the man that owned the house was very powerful. I'm not saying that had something to do with it, but um, they were very quick to close it up. There's a there's a big mystery to both how she died, how the kid died, and where everybody else was in the play of this. And I think that if someone was really to you know take an in-depth investigation of this and just start pulling things out block by block, piece by piece, they might be able to come up with a couple more answers that maybe someone didn't find before. It seemed like before it was very quick to just wrap it up. Let's, here it is, hand it off, we're done. Rebecca's family would later have her body exhumed, where more questions were raised. Having reviewed the autopsy, did they do a good job? The findings lead me to express grave and serious doubts about the conclusion that the manner of death was suicide. You've got four separate hemorrhages beneath the scalp. What does that mean to you? It cries out for an explanation. You were concerned about an absence of severe injury to the neck area, true? Yes, I believe if the body had just plummeted down with that sheer drop of several feet, then the cervical vertebrae would have been dislocated from the base of the skull, and that was not present. In 2018, a jury in San Diego found Adam Shackney responsible for Rebecca Zahau's death. After a month-long civil trial, jurors only deliberated a few hours and then awarded Rebecca's family more than $5 million in damages. The family said more than anything, it vindicated Rebecca, proving that she would not have committed suicide. She shouldn't be dead. She should be here with us. Now, in court during that month-long civil trial in San Diego was Rebecca's mom, every single day, and Rebecca's sister, Zena. I reached out to Zena through Facebook uh, for this podcast, and then a woman by the name of Julie Sung told me that she was Rebecca's family member as well, and she told me to contact the Zahau family attorney, Keith Greer. Binding her ankles together, binding her hands behind her back, uh, gagging her and putting the noose around the neck That all in of itself doesn't make sense. She was actually strangled and killed before she was hung off the deck. 
Now, at the same time, Rebecca's family was fighting to prove her case was not a suicide. Dina Shackney was fighting to prove her son's death was not an accident. Max, my six-year-old son, was the victim of an assault scenario which culminated in a homicide. Now, during the news conference, when the sheriffs was explaining Rebecca's death, they showed a set of diagrams explaining how six-year-old Max fell from the grand staircase at the Spreckles Mansion on July 11th. Coronado police handled that investigation and said that Max appeared to have been running down the hallway at the top of the stairs. He lost his balance and tried to grab the chandelier, and then he hit the banister on the way down before hitting the floor. Investigators said that no one witnessed the fall. He died a few days later at the hospital. As the mother of a dead child, I believe I deserve, he deserves, more than a three-sentence note declining my request to reopen the reinvestigation. In the nine-month investigation, biomechanics expert Dr. Robert Bove found Dr. Mark Gomez's report for the San Diego County District Attorney's Office as being inconsistent with Max's injuries, stating in part, impact with the railing, even at fast running speeds, would therefore not result in a fall over for someone of Maxfield Shackney's stature due to the location of their center of gravity below the top of the railing. Now for this podcast, I reached out to Dina through Facebook and I was put in touch with a woman named Tara. Tara wrote me this message, quote, Hi Matt, this is Tara. I speak with the media as Dina's point person, and I've appeared on several shows as an expert on the case. I look forward to speaking with you, and yes, you said it, I'm haunted by this case. Maxie's story is never at the forefront because of the death of Rebecca, but most people don't know a lot about the details of Maxie's death, which was not an accident. So yes, haunting indeed. She then said that she would talk to me and pass my info on to Maxie's mom. I want to know more about why she felt it was no accident, what evidence they have, who they think hurt Max. Remember, Rebecca was watching Max, and her sister was also home at the time. But when it came to talk on the phone, at the exact time she told me to call, her phone was off. Hearing more about Max is also something that Sircon and I have talked about for years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those that I think about because we cover so many things. We've seen so many things. I mean, anything you can think of that, you know, you almost would think you would imagine it. No, that would never happen. We've seen it, you know. And this is one of those that kind of stick with me, mainly because of that little kid. You know, you, you think about, like, you have a nephew, you have a little brother or something like that. And what happened to this kid? You know, how did this happen? And uh, I think that's one of the things I always kind of think about when I think about those weird cases and stories I've done in San Diego. There's some kind of mystery there that something happened and somebody might know, but nobody's saying anything. Or maybe they're just going to figure it out. As for Maxie's dad, Jonah Shackney, I spoke with him over the phone. Hi Jonah, my name is Matt Johnson. How you doing? It was a brief phone call, 
but I wanted to let him know about this project. Good. Um, I am a journalist, and I would like to talk to you about um, your son. He told me that he doesn't think so, but he appreciates the courtesy of me asking. Okay. Um, is there anything that you would like to say? I know that it's been tough on your family. He went on to say, of course it has, but he has shied away from interviews with the media, all but one interview, because he thinks that the issue is fundamentally just private. He said that others have taken a different road, and he respects that, but it's something that he would like to keep private, but appreciates me reaching out. I understand that, and I'm sorry for your loss. As for the interview that Jonah is talking about, I found it. Here's another bite, another interview clip of Jonah talking about his son. Take a listen. Anyone that's uh, had a child with a grave injury understands that it's uh, the loneliest place on earth. Now we need to mention that no criminal charges have ever been filed in either case. Max's again ruled accidental, and Rebecca's death officially ruled a suicide. But Rebecca's family and Max's mom continue to search for answers to this day and fight to reopen the case. Now, with all the evidence and all those theories that we were talking about, the sheriff, Bill Gore, was asked if he would ever reopen the case and why he ruled Rebecca's case in particular as a suicide. Here's what he told local affiliate KSWB. And we know that, uh, that Rebecca loved little Max and I'm sure felt very responsible right. for his death. You, you put all those... Uh, pieces of evidence together and a lack of any other physical evidence to indicate anything other anything but suicide yeah. and that's how we came to our conclusion all right investigators that's going to do it for our first case thank you very much for listening now please subscribe and write a review that will help the podcast get noticed until next time thank you for investigating true crime deadline with matt johnson for more information about the podcast visit truecrimedeadline.com and remember all tips regarding a case should go to the police until next time now if you or someone you know is thinking suicidal thoughts you are not alone Call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline toll-free. That number is 800-273-8255.